Hello everyone and welcome back to the Biff Rugby Podcast. Uh, apologies for the long... I, th- I feel like it's been three weeks since the last podcast. Um, we wanted to get one out, the file corrupted, not really sure what happened. But it is episode 11. It's the first time the three of us have spoken in nearly a month. Because uh, Toby wasn't around the last time. It's been two weeks since I visited York, which we didn't get to speak about for you guys to hear. Um, but a lot's gone on. The Bedford Tigers Southern Conference League season started. We've had the Women's Challenge Cup final. We know who's in the Challenge Cup final at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at the end of this month. It, it's it been a wild ride, and we've had, we've had some massive news in terms of how the sport's going to be broadcast and strategically planned for the next 12 years, which we'll get into a little bit later on. But first of all, lads, how are we getting on? How Have we enjoyed the rugby league that we've watched over the last three, four weeks? Yeah, I think the, um, the slightly earlier Challenge Cup is sort of giving that intensity... Um, a, a period of the season that previously maybe didn't have it, so that's been great. Um, and obviously, great, great to see you. Sorry, the game was a bit of a disappointment, <laughs> but it was good from a York point of view, wasn't it? But yeah, how, how are you two doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I mean, yeah, university's getting in the way of life, but we try and keep on top of everything. Um, I know you, you're definitely sympathising me there, Brad. But um, yeah, I mean, we're just sort of taking along, keeping an eye on things, but. Trying to get to games and stuff just proved impossible recently. Yeah, I mean, I've got two assignments in 16 days and then I'm done. But then I've got, like, I'm at the rugby club four days a week and trying to fit the gym in to get rid of this, like, COVID belly that I've put on. It's it's not going well at all. But it's it's definitely worth worth the fun, especially when you when you get out of bat and, and you get into games and we're seeing games played live and we're, we're having fans at games and being able to see people you might not have seen for 18 months since since the last set of games you've been to and whatever. It's just really good to get out of bat and be able to go and see top quality games and I can't wait to see uh, Wigan versus Huddersfield at Tottenham. Like The only reason I'd go to that stadium is to watch the Challenge Cup final, so they're lucky, really. Um, I, I'm, I'm going you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to crack straight on. We need to, because we've, we've got a lot to cover tonight. Um, Robin, I'm going to go straight to you. The story of the round, or story of the last three weeks, and it, it only really came out, well, I think it was today, at the time of recording, it was either today or the yeah. day before, so it's, we're recording on Tuesday, and I think it only came out last night, or tonight, or the, like this afternoon. Yeah, I think, yeah. Story of the last 24 hours. Um, yeah. It's the, it's the news that the RFL has partnered up uh, or they've announced a new strategic partnership with IMG, who are a um, a global leader in sports, events, media, and fashion. Um, and basically, as far as far as I'm aware, because like like Brad said, the news has just broken, and um, I'm not fully aware of what IMG do. But I think basically the idea is that they're just going to fix them. So. Um, <laughs> They're gonna. They want to increase commercial value. They want to restructure the competition. They want to produce more content and innovate the content that's produced. Um, they want to manage the um, domestic and international distribution uh, of media rights, and um, they've got like a digital arm, and they want to transform our sort of. They call, they just call it digital transformation. So I'm guessing they just kind of updating maybe like the websites and apps and um, I don't know, different means of online access people have got to the sport. So um, it's a 12-year deal, which is a long time, uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll all have our ideas whether that's uh, good or bad. Um, but, I mean, on the face of it, IMG seem like a pretty um, big company. They, they manage um, some of the like top um, sports and fashion figures. Um, and they've got they're they're in thirty different countries, um, sports events, media, fashion. So hopefully, like this sort of gets rugby league in the club a little bit, and we might be able to um, like you know partner up with some of the other people on on IMG's roster. So um, potentially exciting, but you know we're all it's rugby league. We're always nervous that we we're just going to get done over by this. But um, yeah, like, I'll open up. What what do you two think? I think they're an American company and they're based out of New York and we know that the next Rugby League World Cup, I think it's it's either the next one or the one after, it's going to be held in the United States and it's going to be along that East Coast, we know it's going to be New York, Florida and that maybe even a bit in Toronto as well, like we get some games there. Toby, my question is, do you think that is, 
going to boost the World Cup over there as well. It's not just going to boost rugby league in this country because of with them being a global brand, but because IMG is such a big company in the states and and over the pond, that's going to massively improve the the level of rugby league we get over there, and it's going to be it's going to help the game as a whole and not just with uh, the RFL, hasn't it? I'm not necessarily sure about sort of you know them being effectively coming in as a, a commercial uh, partner. Whether it's going to sort of whether their reputation will carry into sort of the American public. But I think what it does do is they come with the attitude of we want this, if we're getting involved in this sport then we want Americans to be tuning into it, and they're probably going along. They're probably going to come along with the sort of this is how we get millions of Americans watching the sports we're already involved in. You know, they created um, the golf championship back in the 60s. And yeah. They've, they're part, well, they're part of the sort of company that owns USC now. You know, they know what people want to watch and um, how that entertainment should be delivered. And I think that's something that obviously part of that, it says that part of the deal is going to be exploring TV partners. So whether that involves using their contacts to get an American sports deal, that's potentially something that's coming. Um, in terms of, um, you know, I don't think it might necessarily means that more Americans will start playing the sport, but I think that part of this, um, part of their vision has to be, you know, what what we're going to be doing in New York at the time of the World Cup. How are people going to get into the stadiums there and things like that? So it's got a positive, but I'm not sure it'll actually improve the the player pool in America, but it'll definitely improve the spectator pool, I think. Yeah, and that and that's the main thing. It's increasing the spectator pool is probably the first step, and then it's increasing the player pool, because people will watch the sport before they realise that they might want to play the sport, and and I think that's how a lot of us got into it. We watched the game, and then we were like, oh, we'll go and we'll maybe play a bit. I mean, Robin, you've been playing a lot more touch rugby league, just because it, you, people we're seeing a lot more of it, so we know that there's a lot more of it about. Toby, you're going to a lot more. You went to a lot more games at, at the Crusaders because you got taken to one, and then you you got involved yourself, and you and you made the effort to then and follow them, and then get involved in in different ways at the club, which which is obviously how we all get involved. And I I got involved because I, well I was lucky to be taken to a game when I was just like I think three weeks old, and then ever since then I've been probably at a game every other week. But that's just the way that I've grown up, and I think that's probably what's going to happen with IMG is that they're going to make the most of getting the sport out there like they do with like they did with golf and making it as big and as and as bad and as good and like I mean and I mean bad as like the big bad wolf like it's it's like that sort of thing. It's like we need to make it as attractive as possible. Like we need to make it a commercial product that everyone's gonna see and go, I know exactly what that is. And I think that's where the IMG link comes in, the fact that we've now been able to realign the rugby football league and Super League that everything's coming together all in the year that we've got a rugby league world cup and I, I don't think we can complain at this stage but like you said it's 12 years is a very long time and we have to see where we're at in 12 years if we've only taken two steps forward when we should have taken 10 then it hasn't been a, a success but if we've taken 50 steps forward when we thought we could when we could have been in exactly the same position then we need to look at that obviously we don't know where we're all going to be in 12 years time so we can't we can't judge and we can't say where we think we should be as a sport so we need to just wait see and see how it goes like you said 12 years is a hell of a long time a lot of the tv deals you get are only two or three seasons so this you're probably looking at four potentially five tv deals through img and i think just before we came on camera i can't remember which one of you two said it is that img are going to get us a lot more money through sky sports and potentially a lot more money through channel four and maybe even bt because the way that these channels are just growing with their sport content sky are losing a lot and these other channels are gaining so much more and maybe maybe this is the first step super league gets to moving away from sky sports who knows um before we sort of debate sort of what what can happen with that, we need to see and we wait. So we'll wait and we'll wait twelve years and we'll get back to everybody on that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, tenth of May, twenty thirty-four. Tune in for episode whatever it is, four hundred and something, and and we'll um and we'll let you know how that how we think that's gone, and we'll cut back to what we've said. We need to move on. We've got a player of the round this week, and we've not had a player of the round for, for, for since the last time. Um, we didn't post any because a lot of us, have, we've, like we said, we've been really busy and everything. But it was a Women's Challenge Cup final this week. 
And before we shout out our player of the round, I want to shout out to Zoe Hornby, who won the player of the match for Leeds Rhinos when, unfortunately, they lost to St. Helens. I thought overall Leeds were the better team across the game. The whole 80 minutes, they were the much better team. They looked like they were in control. But that old saying, again, is that you never write off the Saints. They just managed to turn it around. They did what they need to do. And our player of the round this week is brace-scoring teenage winger Ebony Partington. I think for someone to score two tries in any game and the game only be won by two points, it shows that how, how vital that person was to that game. I think, and this is another young player, another young winger, following the lines of Caitlin Beavers that shot onto the stage when she was 16, 17 years old. Like, the depth, the strength and depth of this women's rugby team, well, this women's England rugby league team ready for this World Cup, is up there. Do you think... Do you think Saints being able to produce all this young talent is going to help England in the, in the long run? Or do you think the fact that Saints struggle, and because they've got a lot of the teams, will mean that the England players probably don't know how, how, how big a tough game is to play? If that makes sense. Yeah, it's an interesting, like, yeah, is it better that they've all gelled as a team together or would it be better if they were challenged more regularly and therefore played in tougher games and built that experience? I don't know. It's a good a good question. Another thing that I'm just thinking, like, we're looking at um, another young player here and, and you spoke about Caitlin Beavers that we've talked about before and another youngster that came on into the women's game which is obviously like super exciting and it's it's great that we've got these like players to enjoy for their whole careers. But I wonder if like maybe the women's game we're going to sort of see this trend continue when you think the um the sort of like the peak strength levels of of the women players is not quite as high as the men's naturally due to the biology. Do you think that um it's easier for younger players to to make it in the first grade women's game? than we see at the moment in the men's and, and we spoke about the reserve grade. Do you think that this is going to be um, a pattern that we see is that young players get on the scene earlier and have maybe potentially lot, like longer careers because it's starting so much sooner? Um, it's just, an, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. I, I hope that it inspires lots of um, girls to, to get involved because you can reach those heights much sooner, potentially. Yeah, 100%. Um... So this is kind of a question for you. The, the players that stood out for me at the weekend on in, in the Challenge Cup final were, the name has just saved me, there was Jody Cunningham, an, an ageing player. There was, is it Winfield Hill that plays for Leeds, the, the 35-year-old Australian? She's just been, 35-year-old Australian woman who's just been picked to play for England in the, in the summer internationals against France and against Wales. <sighs> Players like that that have played rugby league for a long time are so key. And it kind of links to what Robin said. Is do we want to select an England team of young players so they get the experience of being able to play tough games and then by the time the next World Cup comes around we stick with that team? Because in my opinion I don't think England will win this World Cup. PNG are really good, Australia are really good, New Zealand are really good. right? And the Tongans and the Samoans and however many teams we play, they're going to have the experience that we might not have. Would you go out there and would you be saying to Winfield Hill and the, these older players, look, you're only going to play this World Cup, so therefore, da da da, or would you just go and select younger players and just see how they get on this year? I think you've got to, you've got to go out there to win it, haven't you? So you pick the best. I don't know if you can play me, but yeah, I can hear. You. Having, yeah, my laptop's having a moment here. You've just fed off my screen, but anyway, um, yeah. So I don't know if you pick. Um, you've got to pick the best team because you've got to go out there with a chance of winning it especially when this Saints team you know you're going to pick so many of these Saints players who have played together you've got a chance to almost take a team which is already pre-coached um, and has been playing as a unit for men for a long period of time yeah. to the World Cup but I think you've also got that argument of you know who outside of your sort of best 17 who goes then? And I think that's when you start to say, you know, let's make sure that the next World Cup, is, they are the favourites or they're at least neck and neck with whoever the favourites are. And that's how you do that then, I guess, is by taking the younger players and the extended squad. Yeah, and I think that's why the squad that for these summer internationals is so big because there's players in those squads 
that hasn't that haven't played international rugby. I mean, an example of a player that has been selected in that time is is Caroline Colley. He does play for Bedford Tigers, and I'm going to use her as an example. Amazing player, top quality player. Um, probably not going to be shy in saying this is that she was asked to play in the Nines tournament for St Helens a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, because of the distance of travel and the times and everything else, she chose it wasn't a, the right decision to make. And like she she's in the England squad. And she's 35 years old, but she's one of the best players you'll see in the Women's Super League South this year. And I, there's, you might, you, people might think, oh, there's a little bit of bias there because she plays for the club that I do the work for. But you, you watch her, and she'll, and she'll cut, she'll cut apart teams. And she did it against London. She did it against the Army. She's one of the top try scorers in the league. Yes, Bedford Tigers didn't win a game, but she's done enough to, to get England call up. Is, is the. And, and and that's the and I don't really know I don't really know what to suggest about this England call. People are going. Are oh, people players should should be playing at the higher level to play, but if they're good enough, they should be picked. And I don't, should age really matter, or are we are we just sort of are we happy that we've got such a good? I don't really know where to sit. I don't really know what question I'm trying to ask, but it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, age for a World Cup. Like it from the, I just thought you found it to ask the question. But, <laughs> you know, I think it's like I mean, it's the best. You you pick the best players, and in a, you know I hope for all time G have come and put some more funding into the <laughs> by getting some better sponsorship, and it gets to a point where you know you could have players like the one mentioned are able to um, move to be at the elite level of the sport, yeah. um, and you know prove every week in week out that it, that their age isn't a factor in their quality. Yeah, and, and that's and I think that this is going to move on to a, a question I had about the men's England rugby league team. When we mentioned the the hooker position is not is not the best, and it's not the it's sort of not the best depth. James Roby's retired from international rugby league, and Sean Wayne's come out and said he's not going to pick him unless he asks to be unless he asks to be picked, unless he unretires. If you're Sean Wayne, you're knocking on his door, and you're messaging him going, look. You're the best hooker we've got. You've got to play. It don't matter that the bloke's nearly forty years old. He's still one of the best players on the planet, isn't he? Yeah. This, this whole, <laughs> the thing. The thing is, like, this is a, this is again. So Sean Wayne said, "I'll only want to pick English players who what what was it born in England or yeah. in England or what English player. He only wants to pick English players who are English. Yeah. And now he only wants to pick the best hook in the competition if he asks me first. It's just like, why are you making these like, <laughs> arbitrary rules? Like, why, why restrict yourself? Yes, just ask him. Like, what, <laughs> the worst that he's going to say is no. Why? And then, why yeah. Get the guy. Yeah. Focus on the coaching. Stop making these arbitrary rules about who you select and enjoying the power trip of being like, oh, I'm, the, I'm picking the team. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get, I totally get that. I mean, I, you've dropped out, and now Toby's dropped out, so I'll just carry on like nothing's happened. He's back. He's back again. He's. I couldn't hear Robin, so I thought I'd just dip out and dip back in. <laughs> hope that he carry on talking. Uh, no, he just he basically said I wish he'd stop making up the arbitrary rules about he wants to pick England English players that want to play for England, but now he's like he's only going to pick James Roby if James Roby unretires. Like, go and ask him because, like you said, if he asks him and Roby says no, he's in exactly the same position he was when he took the job. So it doesn't it doesn't matter. And um, a question that I've got for you is. Dom, Dom Young, Herbie Farmworth. In England, or are they playing for other nations this year? Or maybe not. Farmworth probably won't, but is Dom Young going to play for England or Jamaica in the World Cup? I don't know. I think um, I think for the good of the sport, really, if I'm being honest, it'd be good to see Dom Young for Jamaica because it makes Jamaica that little bit stronger. And I think... Um, Having these sort of, I don't know what you call them, second tier teams, third tier teams, yeah, giving them an NRL player is going to make a bigger difference than us swapping or changing him in and out. So, as a as a neutral, and to be honest, I quite I've seen Jamaica play it um, headingly, and I look, they had the steel drums and everything. So I've got a real soft spot for Jamaica. I really like the team, and so I kind of want him to play for Jamaica, but. Don't get me wrong. If he's the best player at the end of the year, I just, I want to play. I want him to play for England. Yeah. Go on, Toby. I think I think Farmworth almost like nailed on at this point, um, based on how he's been going. Young's an interesting one where I think it's more of a stylistic um, choice that you have to make. Where 
he's built like a, a bit of a beast, but he's actually quite an elegant finisher. Um, and if you know if you're going to do that thing where you have sort of a big winger and a small winger, maybe you want someone who's better, you know, makes a higher percentage of his tackles um, than Dom Young does, or you know something like that. So I guess it sort of depends what Sean Wayne what looks look, is looking for, how he's going to set up the England side. But I think you know. Um, I think he's up there, isn't he? I think everyone. If we, if the squad was ten players bigger, he's in there. Um, yeah, he's right on the fringe. Yeah, hundred percent. And especially the way Jermaine McGilvery played at the weekend and the way he's played this season, two very similar players. Two, I'd say, powerhouse wingers. Very, very able, very much able to do the job defensively. Dom Young proving that against Daniel Tupo, like maybe a month or so ago, right at the start of the season, like against one of the best wingers in the NRL of the last decade, and he's dealt with him. Like He's he's, he's, he's the best winger on the pitch that day. Um, another country I'm going to mention, we're going to switch to, is, is Ireland. And massive shout-out to He Can Play For on Twitter. Robin loves him, we love him. Um, the Ireland, There's some players here that could play for Ireland that, realistically, none of these players are going to play for anyone else. Maybe one will. Um, Morgan Harper at the Sea Eagles. Luke Keary at the Roosters, Josh Curran at the Warriors, Pat Carrigan at the Broncos, Dale Finucane at the Sharks, could play for another country, uh, Harry Rushton at the Raiders, Jermaine Jolliffe at the Titans, and Josh Cook at the Bulldogs. There's eight NRL-based players there that could play for Ireland. The only problem is with the, with the Irish team is that they have the... they, have, they select a certain number. It's, I think it's 50% of the squad have to be playing in the Irish Domestic League. So there's going to be a lot of big names that miss out. Is that a good thing for Ireland that they do this, or is or is with it being a box? Do you think they should just pick the best squad they could possibly pick at all times? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it really annoyed me. I remember when Ireland announced that they were doing it this way, and they instantly went bottom of the uh, European Championship um, the year they announced it, which I think is like what 2019 now. Yeah. Um, maybe in 2018. But yeah, so. It's really annoying when I did this because it's just that, like, you're not, you know, you're a relatively small nation who's got Gaelic football hailing, regular football, uh, or association yeah. football, and then rugby union. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I just, I, I'm not a fan at all of that, but um, I get why, you know, the game's never going to grow properly in Ireland. You're never going to get an actual good, talented Irish pool who will play. <laughs> for Ireland, regardless of whether it's a World Cup year or not. Yeah, 100%. Um, that you get here, and I think, you know, you would get another one. I mean, you know, Tyson Frizzell played in the 2013 World Cup for Wales. The only time he's going to wear a Wales jersey again is if he doesn't get into the Australia squad this year. Yeah, 100%. So, and that that's really frustrating. Um, you know, I, from my perspective, when I'm actually like, you know, support Wales in these competitions, knowing that we could have we could have qualified much easier for the competition if or we could have been more effective in the competition if this player was there every year and had trained with the Wales squad more often or trained with the Ireland squad more often. Yeah, it's really annoying. And I think um, I think it's the one thing which like um, the RLIF need to really regulate is that like how you know how do we make sure that players play for in for a nation as much as possible? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I'm going through the he can play for Twitter now and. Some of the some of the nations and some of the players that I'm going to name now are, are, are not going to make sense to you, and they're going to and you're going to be like, wow, I didn't know that. Croatia, Nathan Cleary, didn't know that. That that's 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 ridiculous. It's never going to happen, but it's still absolutely ridiculous. Um, there's come on, where was the one I just saw? Um, it was the Faroe Islands. Kai Pierce Paul. Like the fact that this man has found out this information is absolutely ridiculous. Like. Even having like the the rest of the world team or the exiles as as they call them for to play the England team, if Kai Pierce Paul is playing for the exiles, stick stick a Faroe Islands badge on his shirt. Do you know what I mean? Because someone from the UK that's from the Faroe Islands will see that and go, Jesus, I didn't know that one of the best players in in the league was played for the. Fa I mean, he's probably not one of the best players in Super League, but he could be. Play, could play for the Faroe Islands. But it's it's mental, like heritage rounds and stuff. It, it's. It's crazy how much work they do, and I think as as we get closer to the World Cup, we'll look at the World Cup sides, and we'll pick our England and Australia and our New Zealand, and then we'll see who's left, and we can go. Imagine how strong this Italy team would be if James Tedesco is not picked for Australia, like or they've got. And Robin, it's it's a question that 
I'm gonna sort of, I'm gonna throw at you. It's gonna be James Tedesco. Does he play for Australia in the World Cup with the amount of fullbacks they've got? I mean, <laughs> I can definitely see a situation where he doesn't, and I would look in in a way I would love for that to happen. I'd love <laughs> for Australia to turn around to Tedesco and say, "You're our fourth option," and he say, "I would much rather play for Italy." Do you know what I mean? That's, yeah, that, that's exciting to me, uh, and I could see that happening, but it's a long shot, and I think. Um, Italy really sh- should prepare to not have him. Oh, yeah. And, and then be su- pleasantly surprised if he does show up. But, that, like, yeah, as a, as a neutral, and to be honest, as a like non Australian, <laughs> the best thing to happen would be to Tedesco playing for Italy. I think if, um, if Tedesco didn't make the Australian squad, he would have actually ended up being in Italy at 2013 17 and. Yes. Yes. And he's managed. He's managed to be one of the best fullbacks of all time in the in three year in a three year span. And not where he's not going to end up getting into Australia. Which would be quite ironic, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, imagine a back three of James Tedesco. I mean, I've just seen it now. Uh, Jordan Rapana potentially and James Saltonstall at the World Cup in an Italy shirt. Like James Saltonstall won't know what's going on in his head. Like he genuinely won't have a clue. Like what? What to do with himself? But that, I think that's a story for, like, like I said, later in the year when we know sort of what the World Cup squads are looking like and we see sort of who's moving around to where. We've done we've done a story around, we've done our player around, and it's sort of uh, sort of moved on a little bit. So we'll crack on and, and we'll just jump in. We'll, we'll go to the NRL watch, Toby, and it's it's a story this week about about the Panthers. Yeah. So I mean, um, the Panthers lost the game, which I. Mean, <laughs> Anyone watched the NRL, I don't think anyone thought it was going to happen this year. But yeah, the, the Penrith Panthers are beatable, uh, as the Paramount Eels um, showed us on the weekend. But now, that means there's two teams, both with nine wins, both with one loss, going to play each other this week. And one's just been beaten. Another one hasn't been beaten since about round two or three. <laughs> and... It's the Melbourne Penrith game coming up this weekend, and it proves to well. It is like if you're going to watch one NRL game between before the end of the play before the playoffs start, because you've got to watch every playoff game. But if you <laughs> before the playoffs start, this is the one I think you should probably be tuning into. Yeah, hundred percent. It's Magic Round weekend, and I mean, based off based off the fact that Parramatta beat Penrith and West Tigers beat Parramatta. West Tigers could beat Penrith, right? That's, that's, that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, like West Tigers at the top of the league, right? They're basically the best team in the NRL um, based on that, apart from the fact that they just got, got absolutely annihilated by Manly, but we won't we won't go into that. If you had to pick a winner of the NRL and you only had to pick between Melbourne and Penrith based on their strongest 17, would you be able to pick one? Well, I mean... Well, I mean... Yeah, I mean, in theory, you should pick, pick the Panthers, but um, the neck and neck, it's a two-horse race again, isn't it, this year? So, um, I don't know, flip a coin. Yeah, the, the thing that is going to be a massive loss for Melbourne is is the loss of Ryan Pappenhausen, isn't it? it four to six weeks, ham, I think it was a hamstring tear that he's had, and for one of the most electric players and in the, in the sport at the moment... That's a huge loss for the Storm, and, and that could be a deciding factor, especially for the fact that they've they let a lot of quality players go last year, especially um, Nico Hines. Like Nico Hines would have come in and he would have played, and yeah, you would have noticed that Pappenhausen wasn't there at fullback, but Hines would have done such a solid job and kicked kicked goals comfortably that it wouldn't have been a problem. Whereas without Nico Hines and without Pappenhausen, and without there's no Josh Adokar on the wing now, it, that's a different. That's a, a little different scenario for the Storm, isn't it? Yeah, Nick Meany comes in at fullback as well, and if anyone watched the Bulldogs last year, Nick Meany at fullback just—it's—it's it, not you know, there's no um, creative energy coming from fullback with him there, and yeah, it's um, it's it's a bit of a deflating one, I think, for the Storm to take. But I, again, I think that there was points during this season where they were depleted earlier on, and they've still managed to find ways to win. So. I mean, if you want, if you know, if you ask me who, I, I thought you were going to ask earlier, you know, who 
who do you want to win this one? Or like, who do you... We'll get into that. We'll get into that later on. And yeah, like that for me is like, I don't know, I've grown up with the Storm always being at the top of the, their game, really. And we'll see, we'll see what happens from there. But I don't think that in a game this big, I'm not quite sure that, that Pappenhausen lost is actually important. <laughs> but over the course of the season, yeah. it probably could turn out to be. Yeah, I mean, they're probably lucky that it's four to six weeks and not four to six months with, with such a horrendous injury. And I genuinely, it, it's gutting to see because he, he's such an amazing player to watch. And we'll get into who we think will win that game later on when we do our set of six. And we talk about how many points are between myself and, and Robin and, and Toby. We'll, we will get into that. And another game we've sort of got to watch this weekend is it's the battle of the the, the team two teams with no wins in League One. And... Um, West Wales travelled to Cornwall this week, and we're, we're going to sit here and we're going to laugh and we're going to go, what's the point? But there's another team in that mix of the worst team in rugby league, in professional rugby league at the minute, and that's London Scholars. And I said it to you at the start of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if they finished near the bottom of the table. And the London Broncos are doing exactly the same. They are not the, they are not the London Broncos and the London Scholars of three, four years ago that would near enough finish in the top half of the championship and and League One, like, something's going wrong with these expansions, and Cornwall we knew would be a little bit down this year, we knew it wasn't going to be perfect, and they're lucky they can't get relegated, but the fact that their games are now not on our league, because they're not entertaining, people aren't watching them, but they watched the first couple, and they thought, oh, maybe it's just a thing, but it's it's nine losses in a row, or something stupid now, but their team changes dramatically every week, yes, they're getting these, these lone lads in, and they, but they get but they're unknown. They're all like eighteen, nineteen year old released lads or lads that haven't played an open age game before in their life, being thrown in against Keithley and North Wales and Doncaster and Oldham, and it, it's not it's not on. And this West Wales team, I don't know anyone that plays for West Wales this season. It Toby, as someone who follows League One probably a little bit more closely than myself and Robin, what what do they need to do? What do the RFL need to do to 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 make these three teams more competitive. What what can they do to help these teams? Uh, the reality of the, to that question is pretty much they've got to make access to um, better quality players available to these expansion teams. Um, you know, there's no way that a player that players born in South Wales, where there's a very small rugby league culture. Uh, are going to be able to improve to a higher standard when they haven't got any play- sorry any players who've been playing rugby league all their life or any players who've got experience in League One any players who have been you know just been doing it for a long time there to sort of teach them little bits here and there um, you know you're basically asking a young squad to develop without with with little to no leadership um, and you know I think that's probably the biggest issue here is that. You know, I don't. I doubt anyone born in London, Penethley or Cornwall has ever touched the game of rugby league inside in school, um, and things like that. And I think that obviously there's no way that West Wales could access a player who's based in Lancashire or Yorkshire because he's not going to travel that distance when he's going to have a job as well. Um, I think we've seen something really nice with the Southern Conference League, um, and it's almost like that that league is there to for these clubs to develop players and you know sort of get give players that say in terms of london broncos in terms of london broncos um by robin but yeah he's <laughs> gone again broncos, yeah um it's interesting with them um because they basically lost the ability to fund themselves um and that's really sad because they they did have a draw of being a capital-based team and you know, it's um, and they were so good in Super League that season that for the money to dry up for them so quickly is pretty much a tragedy. And I think we see that that's probably had a knock-on effect on Scholars um, because there's been no good players to dual reg down to Scholars, who again probably helping those some of those Scholars players develop a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, and this is this is the thing with these Scholars, right? A lot of the players they signed this year, the players that I knew, like. And I don't, I'm not going to knock these players because these these guys are fantastic. Um, Shane Hurley is a good friend of mine. Played didn't play a lot at Hemel last season, um, and Hemel are not one of the best teams in the Southern Conference League. He he signed and he got and he's been picked for 
scholars. He play, he's played a few games this season. Played in the played in the Challenge Cup defeat uh, to Hunslet. Uh, I think Kojo was playing at South South London Silverbacks. They didn't complete the season the season before. Like the players that they've signed are not, and they're not quality players in terms of what they can offer. In terms of what they offer the sport, and and I'm not going to say it's Joe Mabu. He's struggling with this team. He doesn't seem to be able to motivate them. He doesn't seem to be able to bring these players in. With Cornwall, I think the RFL did something wrong there. Is that they fa the fact that there's already a rugby league club in Cornwall called the Cornish Rebels. They were in the Southern Conference League West last year. They have a women's team that unfortunately have pulled out of the Women's Super League South this year because basically because of logistics, because they can't travel. You're expecting these teams to travel to... So Cornwall's travels this season, I think, were Wales. So they had to travel to Cardiff, to London, and to Oxford. Like, there are some long treks. Like, yes, the fact that Cornwall have pulled out means that now Bedford don't have to travel to Cornwall, and it saves those teams a trip to Cornwall. But I, I'll be honest, I was looking forward to it, because I wanted to see what it was like. The fact that they brought in this semi-professional -pro team has definitely hindered the Cornish Rebels. And I don't know if the Cornish Re anyone listening from the Cornish Rebels would agree with this, or if, and if they are listening, let us know in a comment or in a reply on Twitter or however you, however you want to reply or, or get in touch privately. If that is a problem and that has hindered your club, let us know, because that is a massive issue. There's, there was already a club in Cornwall. Why, why was the RFL not contacting and trying to use the Cornish Rebels brand as as a semi-pro club, or, or did they just think it was too early for them? And if it was too early for the Cornish Rebels, it, they, I don't think the game should have been played in Cornwall. I don't, can, can either of you disagree with that? No, I, I, I agree. I mean, um, the, the reason that this new Cornish team has started was, was it... Uh, but was it was it was the, it was the, it was Eric Perez, the Ottawa Aces. Perez, like he went, went he was at Toronto, decided he's gonna to leave Toronto, went to Ottawa, said, Oh, we're gonna do this the Canadian style, we're gonna get loads of Canadians in. COVID hit, da, 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 couldn't afford to do it, decided, oh, we're gonna come back to the UK, we're gonna to go to Cornwall. I mean, when this came out, we spoke about it at the time, where they're gonna cut like Ottawa Aces are relocating to the UK, they're gonna have a different name. We knew it wasn't gonna be Hemel, and I said, What about Nottingham? What about Birmingham, somewhere central, because we don't have any. There's, there's, yes, we've got the Midlands Hurricanes, and they're doing a fantastic job, and a massive, massive applause to Alan Robinson. But Cornwall is way too far down. We've got teams in London. We needed someone sort of in that region, sort of just maybe west of London or north of London, that was just sort of in that triangle between Wales, the Midlands, and London, sort of in that triangle, didn't we? Yeah. Well, I was just I was just going to agree, but I was just going to say if, if Perez chooses to set up a club somewhere, obviously the RFL can can block him, but like kind of why would do you know what I mean? Why would yeah. you stop somebody investing? So it's kind yeah. of down to his decision of where that club was. Mm. Obviously, if the RFL could choose, I'm sure they would have gone with Nottingham or Birmingham or somewhere like that. But yeah. it's not all. It's the RFL don't always have that decision to make. No, that's true. I think we're seeing the sport regress for, regress from the point of expansion it was at probably what circa 2012, um, to the point where now it is much more hardly focused in the north, even more than before. And it, but what it's what what Midland Hurricanes are showing us, what Northwest Crusaders are showing us, is that you can filter outwards from there. And you can start to pull players down and say, "Oh, it's only an extra half hour drive than you were doing before." Yeah. It's only this. It's only that. And you can start to sort of build from the top down. You know, eventually. I think it's, it's weird for me being based sort of in Derby, where you know I'm a little bit too far. You know, I can get to Sheffield on a Sunday. Yeah. Probably. You know, that's probably about it for me. Um, and like, you know, you get down to, but then to, but then if you think that if the sports in Sheffield. Um, and at times it's done well in Sheffield. Uh, why can't it filter down just a bit further and a bit further? And as you say, you've got North like you've got Nottingham Derby. If you go out east, you've got somewhere like Peterborough, which I don't know if they want another sport other than their football. But hey, it's you know I'm just trying to go down the country. <laughs> and then yeah, you can sort of go down. You've got Leicester, and then you get into Coventry, where we've sort of seen success before. Um, I think that 
London Broncos should be representative of sort of the whole South initially. Yeah. Um, basically, in terms of scholars, um, West Wales and Cornwall, I think it's your. I think they probably belong in the Southern Conference League, and their best players should be getting picked up into the Broncos reserve setup. Yeah. Um, and then sort of building from there and saying, right, we've got London. Um, obviously, funding needs to go to Broncos to be able to make that sort of a reality. Yeah. And then filter down, and then basically get to the point where it's almost like a race down to London. <laughs> but yeah. Again, IMG. I hope you're listening. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you never know. IMG might be looking at these these three teams and going, okay, how can we work with promoting the sport but also making these three teams stay as semi-pro teams? Do you know what I mean? Like. Neil Kelly came out the other day and said about his Cornwall players probably don't have that professional professional mentality yet because they haven't been in a professional environment. They've played rugby union in Cornwall and blah, 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 blah. The only players that probably have a professional environment in that, in that setup are probably uh, Purcell, Witten and obviously Mullally, who we know is, is the, the biggest name in that, in that squad. And I, I really do hope that... And, and that works for them. And, and like we said, when, they, when we first thought about it, Fingers crossed it works and we don't have another Toronto situation where they did, they get to Super League and then all of a sudden they disappear because they can't afford to, to do all the travel and, and things like that. Talking of expansion, we're going to be a bit positive now. Um, Women's Super League South kicks off this Sunday. We, the three games we've got, we've got London Broncos at home against the Army, the Cornish Rebels, who I believe have actually pulled out of the league, were meant to play at home against the Gold, uh, Bristol Golden Ferns as well. But th- this is huge. Like, when it when it hit last year, it was it was it was the games. Some games were shown, some games weren't shown. We had the double header at Ealing, where London played Bedford, and then London played um, Toulouse, and and that and that that was a fantastic afternoon. As well, this weekend we've got Saints versus Wigan in the Women's Super League. That that all kicks off this weekend, and I think what the RFL are doing with Women's Super League is huge right now, and. I don't know if this is something that you guys want to do, but the, the Bedford Tigers home game is the first home game this season. The 22nd of May is being played 30 seconds up the road from me at Goldington Road at the home of Bedford Blues. It, it, I, and if and people are at it, if you're listening, it's free entry. Just come and watch it. Like if, if you can get to Bedford on a Sunday, just come and spend two hours watching Women's Rugby League and look at the quality of this. Because it's, it's, something's happening and it's going to be huge. Um... We already spoke about the Women's Challenge Cup final, and that's probably the only thing that needs to change a little bit is the Challenge Cup structure. We spoke like Saints didn't concede a point until the final this year. Uh, Bedford Tigers they haven't won a game since they played five games, not won one. Um, the, the Army looked like they were going to run away and win the whole thing last year until the Cardiff came along and, and shocked them at the last. But and that Cardiff team has pretty much filtered into the Wales team that will then play England in the summer. Like. Something's happening. Whoever's in charge of that, that sort of the women's setup, is doing a fantastic job. And would you, would you, what do you think there is? What's the next step for them? I think you're right about the the Challenge Cup final. I think um, not having it or having it as part of the semi final for the men's feels a bit flat. Um, I, I I don't I don't know I don't know about the next steps. I feel like it's it's sort of built like. Women's sport in general has got a lot more popular over the last sort of decade, and like rugby league has all like you know we're also enjoying that benefit. But I, I agree. I think everything that's going on with women, the women's game right now is really positive, and it's all going in the right direction. And I would maybe say let's just can let's just sort of not get too ambitious and sort of let this sort of organic growth keep continuing to happen, and really like embed all these competitions as like regular season fixtures and then hopefully as we build a bigger and bigger player pool then we can look at what are the next steps tv deals all that sort of thing but for now i think let's not let's like it's healthy it's it's healthy and it's doing what it needs to do like give it the space to do that um don't don't you know don't try too much don't make it a flash in the pan that then Burns itself out. Yeah. What's beautiful, what's beautiful about sort of the women's game is that you're not. No sport has particularly got its roots embedded in the country. Um, when it comes to women's sport, with the more sort of growing at a similar time, there being an emphasis on getting the women, getting women's sport into 
the same stadium as the men's and playing at sort of, you know, um, as intense a level as the men are allowed to play at. Um, I've been allowed to play at for many, many years. And you've got this situation where players are genuinely going to the sport, which when they when they watch, they like the most, um, probably. And the one where their friends going to, where the community is promoting. What I think could be an issue is if you look at the Women's Six Nations, which I think might have just ended or it might be ongoing. Yeah, that's the thing that just ended, yeah. Yeah. They've managed to get like a sold out Cardiff Arms Park at the Women's Six Nations. Yeah. If you're playing in front of 10 people in Clinetley, who are probably the West Wales Raiders boys looking for <laughs> tips on how to play rugby league, <laughs> then, <laughs> then you've got that sort of. No. Yeah. I want to play union because I can play in front of five thousand people there or ten thousand people there. Yeah. Um, I think that's where we're risk losing out. I think with the triple header, they said on the BBC article of sort of report that only at the time of the women's final, sort of the, all the people in the final ever, only five thousand people had come through the turnstiles at Ellen Road. Um, and that's really poor. Yeah. Um, For a twenty, was it twenty-three thousand seats and only five? So less, less than a quarter of the seats have been. Been filled at that point. Yeah, and when you think that, and, then, and even then, there was only twenty. I think it was about twenty-two thousand attended the yeah the day in total. Which yeah, I, I'm, I can't write that as well. But yeah, so <laughs> I think it's that is it's a, we're at a point where we need to make sure that these women feel like they're in a sport that's going to give back to them what a professional sport should, or a semi-professional sport should, in terms of that sort of love from the fans and yeah, you know, love from the the, comp, the competition organisers and things like that. That you know, that that would be my main concern is that we've got a women's world cup in football coming up as well. Yeah, and it's just that the people we watch on TV and going, we're the only sport that can't sell more than a thousand tickets or or something like this. Um, which again might not be an issue for Saints and Leeds; they, they could sell effectively a few tickets. But it might be you an know, international game. I'm thinking more now. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and a, little, a little negative here is the fact that the BBC showed the women's Challenge cup final at the weekend. It was on the telly. You could sit. There, you could sit at home with your lunch on on Saturday afternoon, and you could watch it before you went and watched your semi-finals or or your your local club games and whatever. And there was a good fifteen twenty of us sat in the bar at the rugby club watching the game before we went on and did and did other things. And yeah, fantastic, beautiful on the telly, lovely stuff. What what's to complain about? You go onto the BBC Sport fixtures and results page this weekend, and the game's not on there. Like it's it's the biggest game in the women's le- in the women's season, bar their grand final in terms of the domestic game. Your BBC is showing it on on domestic on a domestic channel, and they have but they haven't got it on their fixtures and results page. Like where where does the break where's the breakdown in communication happen then? I'm not going to ask a question about it, but that that's that's one thing we have to get fixed. And going back to your Cardiff Arms Park point, Toby, is the fact that. All the Cardiff games this year will be played. All the Cardiff Women's Super League South games this year will be played at Cardiff Arms Park. So a massive well done to them for me being able to secure that because that's a quality stadium and it just shows the step up in sort of things we got. We're 48 minutes in and we've discussed a hell of a lot of topics this week and we said we would and we've sort of jumped around and there's not really been much structure. But we're going to go back to to one of our, our best segments and we're going to Toby, Toby's going to hit us with a, a badger rating this week and. It's a club. I'm not going to make a comment on anything, but to me, to me, it's a ten out ten out of ten. But you could you could take it away this week. Who, who have we got this week, Tom? Yeah. So if you if you're watching on YouTube, just yeah, look at Brad's uh, look at Brad's t-shirt or look at the. Hold on. There we go. There we go. But yeah, so he talks about beds for tigers about <laughs> every. 20 seconds. <laughs> he finally got me to mention. Yeah, you can't. You can't blame me after this weekend. After the result we had this weekend, you cannot blame me. Like, you know what? Before we get into it, shout out to Josh Spear and Bailey Thomas. Like the halfback pair of dreams this weekend. 22-6 down, 15 minutes to go. Bailey Thomas scores with 90 seconds to go. Levels the game, and then Josh Spear hasn't missed a kick all game. Nails it. Four from four from the boot. 24-22, Eastern Rhinos, have that. There we go. I've got out of my system. I've been buzzing. It's Tuesday, it's Tuesday evening, and I'm still buzzing the fact we won that game, because we did deserve to, and we're third in the league, and I don't care. They're from Colchester. And you know what makes it better? Josh Spearing lives in Colchester. <laughs> but yeah. 
Oh, the Tigers, come on. Yeah, go on. Badge rating, 10 out, 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> because of this. The issue I have with uh, any Tigers badge that Brad may present with me <laughs> is that he showed us the dorsal Tigers, which involves a tiger breaking out of prison with a bomb and a rugby ball. And that was such a incredible, just mind-blowing badge that no Tiger's ever going to sort of overcome. Um, the worst Frosty's advert ever. <laughs> the Frosty's on flights are available. Um, and, um, but it's still very clean. I like how it's it's white. It's like a the white tiger. It's a bit different. You haven't you've committed to the orange and black, but not on the tiger itself, and that's really quite cool. Um, yeah, we're in this. We've got Castleford West dorsal, of course. Um, I can't remember what I rated dorsal, um, and I hope I don't rate this too highly. But it is actually really cool that this isn't an orange, just a generic orange tiger, and you have managed to do something different with it. Um, the font's a bit linear, likes it to maybe curve a bit. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I'd say this right here is a solid. Uh, ooh, ooh. I'm going to say 8 out of 10. Yeah, I knew you would. Wow. I think that's top of the table. I'm not going to lie. I'll take that. No more bad, bad ratings for the year. Done. Finished. Put Pepper Tigers win badge rating 2022. Um, <laughs> the only table bad rating this year. Ooh. ooh I, how much are you better on that? Come on. Oh, you, come on. <laughs> the fact that you're so up for it is probably, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to fold. <laughs> you're going to fold? Oh, bless you. I haven't got the bottle. He's lost the bottle. Um, we'll move on. Uh, it's set of six time. Um, I'll just read out the, the current rankings as we go, just because, you know, I'm top of the table still. Um, I'm on 48 points. Robin, you're on 45. And Toby, you're on 42. So you still a whole... We all got five points this week, uh, or the last time we did them, which was over the, the Easter doubleheader weekend. So... Well done to us for those um, for those things. Game number one, it's a game that we're going to see at the end of the month. It's Huddersfield versus Wigan. Both teams resting players after their semi-finals. Usually after a semi-final, you rest your players, you get beat. You you rest your players the week before the final, you get beat. This is this is this is going to be sort of. It's not because both teams will rest players, but you'll be able to see sort of which team has a little bit of a sort of mental advantage on this one. Um, who wants to take this one first? No one, no, no one. I'll do it. I'll go. I'll do it. Um, just because I was, I I sat there on the weekend and someone went to me. Oh, whole KR, it'd be whole KR Saints in the final, and I went. I don't really mind who wins the first one, but Huddersfield will win comfortably. And I, I got a bit. Someone went to me. Oh, that's not going to be comfortable. Like they might win, but it's not going to be a breeze. And they turn around and they wipe the floor with whole KR. Just a dominant performance, and I think the the confidence of that game. Like Wigan's very close to just bottling it. On, on Saturday, and I think, yes, it was against Saints, the, the biggest rivals they've got, but Huddersfield are on form. They're probably not going to rest as many key players as Wigan are. So, I, for this reason, I'm actually just going to go for the Giants on this one, just because the way the, the, way the players and will be rested and stuff, I just think the Giants will get will get the two points. Yeah, I mean, Wigan are so, so, so good. You know, they've only lost the two games this year, and yeah, they've been they've been phenomenal sort of so far. Considering we started the season going, they might have made the worst decision <laughs> in Matt Pete. Um, but there we go. Um, I think that Huddersfield actually do have a slightly deeper squad, um, and if what you say is correct and they're going to sort of rest players and this, I actually think that Huddersfield will probably nick a win here because I think purely over the injuries they've had over the past couple of years. They've got about 32 lads who have all played yeah. the game. And, um, yeah, so I think um, I think Huddersfield's a sensible shot here. But, I mean, I'll, I'll spoil my Challenge Cup prediction. I don't care what happens between now and then. No. I'm not going the same way. Oh, I'm just glad. I had, I, had I had the thing that I thought Catalan would win, win the Challenge Cup this year and I had a, had a cheeky bet on the five tournaments over the thing and it, it's not come in just because the Challenge Cup final is, is not what I said it was going to be. I don't even know if it's still available. Um, yeah, set of bets, not even there. Um, didn't, didn't get it. That's such a shame. Go on, bro, uh, go on, Robin. Tease us and tell us who's going with Wigan. Well, I'm torn because... <clears throat> so, like, we're going we're gonna, to, like, regularly in finals, Challenge Cup, you know, they've been there, they've done that recently. Whereas Huddersfield, it's, um, it's a bit new to them, this team. There's not uh. sort of, like... There's a couple of 
players have been and had success, but not not tons. So I think Wigan are going to be playing the mind games. I think they've got it in, and I think that they're going to let Huddersfield smash them so that they can play them, and then they and then they'll also Huddersfield will overplay and expose all their um, you know all their all their all their tricks. All their yeah. yeah. So I'm going to back Huddersfield because Wigan will let them win. Oh, <laughs> that's that's a that's a shout that one. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into that because obviously we will we'll do a Challenge Cup um, preview sort of show at, just before the Challenge Cup final. Well, probably the week before. Um, next game, Robin. We've seen how bad Newcastle are in person, but are they as bad as the London Broncos this year? Um, they they travel to Wimbledon to face the side that's practically bottom of the table. They're, they're, if they don't win this game. There is, there's a chance they, they're in a relegation dogfight this year. Um, do London get the two points, or are Newcastle just that a little bit better? I mean, like Newcastle should be better, but having seen that performance in person, I don't think I could could ever back Newcastle for the rest of the <laughs> season. So I'm going to back London this week. Um, Tony, you're looking a little bit high under the collar. You back Newcastle to finish high up there in the table this year. I think it was up as high as four. You were pushing for third at one point, but we I think we settled for fourth. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. Are you back in Newcastle to go out there and get two points? Are you are you sticking by your guns? Yeah, I think I have to believe in them, don't I? Just because <laughs> of the, you know, I need to make it clear that it was my fault that we put Newcastle so high. In the <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think that I've just got to sit here and just say, look, I've got to take Newcastle for the opposite reason. The reason Robin's got to take them. <laughs> So I've got to pretend that they are. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sort of doing this one off a bit of hope more than anything. Um, it, it's horrible seeing London Broncos so far down the championship table when you think they were really unlucky not to be relegated two or three seasons ago, finishing on the highest points total that a relegated side has ever finished on. Um, and, and just because I want them to win and I want them to stay in the championship and I want them to carry on building... As a as a part time club, I'm gonna go with London. I've got I've got points to play with, so I'm gonna stick with Robin. And I'm gonna if I lose a point to Toby, I'm not that bothered. I'm gonna go with London on this one. Uh, it's a game we've already mentioned in our NRL watch. Melbourne at home against Penrith. Magic weekend. No Ryan Pappenhausen, but Penrith have now lost a game. Do Penrith bounce back or a Melbourne like you said with Nick Meany at fullback? How how are we looking on this one? You said you weren't gonna answer it earlier, Toby. You've got to answer it now. Yeah, so it's something I've had I guess, <laughs> to think about now. So first, I was like, yeah, Craig Bellamy's coach team. I think they'll be well up for this game against the Panthers to the point where missing Papanazan won't matter for this game alone. And then we might see them lose two or three games, maybe maybe two games over the next sort of five weeks. Yeah. Um, I think the more the way where I say that, I think it's just stupid of me to say that a fully fit Penrith team cut would lose this game. But but I've got points to make up. <laughs> More than my initial thoughts, and I'm going to take Melbourne. Yeah, I mean, it's a fully, like you said, it's a fully fit Penrith side. They've just lost the game. They're not going to want to lose another game. They're going to want to finish top of the table this year. They're going to want to retain their title. It's a Melbourne side without arguably their best player. So, for that sake, I, I'm going to have to go Penrith on this one. And it's Magic Weekend as well, so the atmosphere is going to be absolutely ridiculous. Robin, I think we're going to be three from three, both the same, aren't we, on this? Yeah, I mean, Panthers have just been knocked off the top spot, so they've got a point to prove. Melbourne's missing their fullback, so yeah, I'm picking the Panthers. Uh, back to Super League now. Catalans at home against Warrington. Two teams that will, will likely be playoff sides this year. Both teams up there, third and fourth, I think they are on the table, or, or third and fifth. Uh, Warrington very unlucky, like losing. Uh, then two losses back to back to Wakefield look to derail their season. But they, they, they could get back on track here. Catalans, as ever, not the same Catalans we got last year. And like I said to you guys, Mitch Pearce, not as good as James Maloney um, this season. Like it, it seems to be like a bit of a downgrade. But they're lucky that Drinkwater's playing as well as he's playing. Is this, this is going to be home advantage, isn't it, for Catalan, the way they're, the way they're playing at this season? Yeah, you. I mean... Um... I like this Catalan side. I didn't like the Warrington side at the start of the year. Uh, and a home advantage means to me it's Catalan. 
Yeah, we, I, I'm going to go Catalan as well. Toby, I, I, I know you've got points to make up, but you'd be stupid not to go for the Dragons, wouldn't you? My boy George Williams <laughs> is someone I've stuck to. Legend. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, sorry. You'd be, stu- you'd be stupid not to go for Catalan unless you were a Canberra Raiders fan. Sorry, I should have said that. So, yeah, I mean, Warrington's <laughs> running up fixes aren't very good, are they? They basically win one, lose one, win one, lose one. However, their last game was a loss. So, um, with that in mind, I'm taking Catalans. For all the reasons said above, there's, yeah, there's just no reason why Warrington should win this game, I think, based on how inconsistent they've been and how leaky their defence is as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they're just a... Catalan is such a quality team, so I, I think you kind of have to back back them on this one. Um, I was going to go with Wests and Cowboys, and because I thought you know Wests got them two wins, but then they lost two games, and they could be they could maybe get back into it. They're playing a much better style of rugby league, but I'm not going to go for that game uh, now. I've looked at what other games we've got on Sunday morning in the NRL. We've got the Sydney Roosters versus the Parramatta Eels, like two perennial contenders every year. They're always in the top. Well, Parramatta, in most recent years, they've been in the top eight quite a lot. Sydney Roosters are Sydney Roosters. They're always going to get to at least the semi-finals. This is Parramatta's chance to sort of say, look, we've beaten the Penrith Panthers. Can we go to Sydney, beat Sydney, and just show that we're we're one of the top dogs in the league? Or are they going to get absolutely pumped by the Roosters this weekend? I mean, Eels are above the Roosters in the table, and they're coming off a win against the Panthers. So I've got to, I've got to back them to to beat the Roosters this week. Yeah, Toby, you're you're the NRL expert here, but the Roosters haven't been in hot form lately. Um, they struggled against, I think it was the Warriors. They lost against the Warriors, I believe, a few weeks ago or last weekend. We've just come off as well. Like bit bit up and down on this one. And I usually I'd say a team not in form would lose. Because they're, they're really struggling, but the Roosters are the Roosters, and I think and think for that, like I said earlier, I've got points to play with. I've got to go with one of the best teams in the competition on paper. Yeah, I mean, look, it's in Brisbane, isn't it? So it's neutral ground. Yeah. Um, it's it's basically about who travels best. I think between these two, they they are almost neck and neck. You know, one game separates them. Um, but I, I think that. I think that I'm on the line with Robin where it's like if Eels have got this momentum, you know, I want to see him run with it. Um, and I think, you know, they perhaps could. Um, so I think I, I, I think I take the Eels just on in terms of momentum. I think he's with them right now. And and game six, um, one of these teams is going to get their first points of the weekend. If this is a draw, it's going to be ridiculous. Um Cornwall versus West Wales. Neither team playing for the Celtic Shield, as you know, it belongs to the North Wales Crusaders. Um, who wins their first game of the season this weekend? Will it be Cornwall, who, despite the fact they've lost games, have looked more impressive? Yeah. Or they, is it the West Wales Raiders that haven't won a game, I think, in like 45 games and get beat 60-70-0 every weekend? Like, I'm gonna go. You know what? I'm I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna go with Cornwall, and I and I don't see if you I don't see you two dis- disagreeing on that one. It's crazy, isn't it, that a points differential of minus two hundred and thirty-four after six games. The six games. So what? Basically, you're conceding forty points a game. Oh, you're losing each game by forty points a game. Yeah. Average, and that somehow makes you favourites to win a game. <laughs> <laughs> and. Yeah, somehow it does because West Wales have conceded are on a point of differential of minus uh, three eighty four, and, and so, Scholars is like three hundred and seventy eight or something. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, we talk about that. I mean, yeah, I can't even do the maths behind how many points per game West Wales are losing by. But yeah, so I think it's got to be Cornwall, like you say. Yeah, it's not a question of who's better; it's a question of who's worse. <laughs> um, yeah, both teams will be like have looked at this fixture and known that this was their one of their few chances to score points. So they'll both be up for it. Um, but is that at Cornwall as well? Yeah, it's or down down in Cornwall. So there's that as well. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna pick Cornwall and and it could be a historic first win. Well, just, you... a little while yeah. at, just while I was looking at points differential. Yeah, but like it's only the bottom four teams who are in negative points differential and that mid and token is only by 28 points 
And like that's almost sixty five percent of League One that are actually scoring more than they're conceding. Which is just in terms of attacking rugby, sounds quite good, but I guess obviously it means nothing when you considering the bottom three teams. Uh, yeah, but I you, was quite impressed by that until I realised. To me, you you look at that League One table and we'll we'll discuss it really, really quickly because we we are at the end of the show. Three teams there. Crusaders, Keith, Lee, Rochdale. Between them, they've lost one game. And I think that was Crusaders beating Rochdale, I think, or Keithley beating Rochdale. They're, they're, the, they're, the, they're the top three. They're going to be the playoff. They're going to be the promotion contenders. Two of those three teams will get promoted, no doubt about it. The, the group below that, you've got Swinton, Doncaster, Hunslet, Oldham, and Midlands Hurricanes between fourth and eighth. Between them, they've only they've drawn two games. I think Hunslet and Oldham got a draw. Four points between those teams. Some have played seven games, some have played six. That's, that's your middle, that's your mid-table, like, they're going to have decent games with each other in and out. And then you've got Cornwall, London Scholars, and the Raiders. Like, six games each, six losses each. There, there needs to be a turnaround, and this could be Cornwall's turnaround, or West Wales' turnaround, or when London play Cornwall. I, I don't see London Scholars losing to Cornwall, quite frankly. Like, they're not that bad. They're bad, but they're not that bad. They're, and... Uh, for those of you that watch League One and listen to League One, you're probably like, yeah, it's same old. These, the West Wales shouldn't be there. We know that. But if you take West Wales out, it's a, it's, a, it's a semi-pro comp with 10 teams in it. You need two teams to replace them, and that's where the conversation gets difficult, isn't it? Yeah. I will just say, like, Keith Lee versus North Wales is the 4th of June, 5.30. Yeah, kick-off in uh, Colm Bay. And I think, I think I might just go home for it. Um, now I've realised that it's at the right time in between uh, uni deadlines. So <laughs> I genuinely think I might have to go home for that if they're both still undefeated at that point because that could be an incredible game. But yeah, everything you said is absolutely right. Um, I mean, it is, isn't it? It's You've got the top of League One's North of Crusaders, the bottom of League One's Midlands Hurricanes, the top of League Two's Cornwall, and <laughs> the bottom of League One's West Wales. So it's um, that's how effectively this is League One and Two table, it feels like. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you, like, like, I think we spoke about how we could split the Super League into two conferences of like 20 last year, and we've looked at so many different ways you can restructure the Northern Hemisphere table just to get rid of West Wales. Like, that sounds really horrible, but to get West Wales out of there, to have an even number of teams, bang, sorted it. But then, where do, what do you do with them? Do they go into a Welsh League? Do they go into the Southern Conference League? Like... If you play, if Torfane Tigers played West Wales, Torfane would probably beat them just because they they've got momentum, they've got a morale, and all that plays a massive part. But we can talk about that another time. Um, I think we decided as a trio that we're going to try and get podcasts out as regularly as possible because whenever we try and make, make meet a schedule, one of us can't make it, something comes up. So we'll sit there and we'll discuss about that privately. But thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much for listening. We've been the Biff Rugby Podcast. We'll see you either next week or the week after. We'll keep you updated. Peace out. See you all later on. Goodbye.